You know, one of the hard parts of getting older is you have to start facing the truth of who you are. And the older you get, the more inescapable that becomes. Those inherent flaws that are just part of you that you struggle with and wrestle with. And, and for me, one of those things that I began to wrestle with and face and deal with in my 20s was my relationship with work. Uh, I, I, I began to experience in my 20s just this, this struggle to turn off work, to disconnect. Uh, and when you're in work that often doesn't stay well in a traditional eight to five time frame, that can be hard. And so uh, a series of really unhealthy, unsustainable habits led me into burnout when I was 27 years old. And I learned that uh, saying yes to everything is probably not a good idea. Um, I learned that not having any boundaries is probably a, a bad idea. Uh, I learned that when you reply to email, like text messages, you build up an expectation that you're always available. And, and I realized, okay, I'm going to have to start making some changes. And, and gratefully, uh, that was a season of burnout, and it wasn't a permanent season of burnout. And I made, made it through that. But as I was reflecting on that experience when I was in my late 20s, I began to think about the fact, I don't think this pattern just started with me. I think it goes back way further. I think it goes back to my grandfather. This is my grandfather and my grandmother. Uh, my grandfather was born in 1921, and in the early 40s, he was drafted into World War II. He served uh, uh, in Europe. We're, we're not sure if he was actually involved in the Battle of Normandy, but we know he was there. He won a silver star for defending his machine gun turret for 36 hours solo on the Western Front during World War II. And he returned to the United States. He married my grandmother. He went into business with his brothers, Savage Brothers Electric in Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, the sign is still there, but the, the company is not. And, um, and, and he, like many of you, if you're in a family business, wrestled through the challenges of different expectations and different values and different workloads. And so for many seasons, he worked from six to six or even longer. Uh, and he put the hours in while, sadly, his brothers took more than their fair share of the cut. My grandpa, if, I, if you asked me to define that him, I would tell you that, that my grandpa valued loyalty, he valued integrity, and he valued hard work. And so I was so honored at my ordination 10 years ago when he came by and laid hands and prayed on me. But he was an imperfect man. And so was his youngest son, who's my dad. My dad inherited those same values, loyalty, integrity, faithfulness, and hard work. And my dad's been a pastor for 37 years. And some of the same patterns that, that my grandpa ended up in, my dad did. Because there were always people with needs. And there were always opportunities. And often, there wasn't enough staff. My dad had spent most of his career without having a full staff on his team. But my dad was never going to let that lead to people not being served and not being cared for. And my dad and I had a lovely 52-minute phone conversation this week because I don't tell stories about people without calling them first. And so my dad and I talked about my childhood and my grandpa and his challenges and my challenges and the patterns that we struggle with. And you might not have a family that has wrestled with being workaholics, 
But I promise you, somewhere, sometime, you uttered this sentence. I will never be like blank. Now, we all have somebody different in that blank. And so to get everybody involved right now, what I want you to do is we're going to all say the sentence and we're going to insert the person's name. Okay, you ready? This is going to be a little bit vulnerable and a little bit scary, but I went first. So I'm inviting you to join me in this vulnerability time together. So ready? I will never be like my grandpa. Yeah, I, there was lots of mumbling in this room. I think you were worried about the person sitting next to you. Maybe you want to be like them. But, but what's so funny is that we say, I will never be like. And then we wake up one day. And it's, and it's too close for comfort. And, and so whether or not it's workaholism or anger or an addiction, whether it's money or an emotion or a relationship habit, I want to talk today about the patterns that we entered into when we were born into our families. The healthy ones and the unhealthy ones, and what does it look like to break those patterns? If you're new to this series, we're in a series called Flawed Families, and the fundamental assumption of this series is this, that every one of our families is flawed, and it's only through those flaws that we experience God's grace. We said that it's really easy to deny our flaws and avoid our flaws. It's really easy to focus on the flaws of other people, but what we're going to do is we're going to expose our flaws to God so that God can heal those flaws. And our team has worked tired this morning through some really hard technical difficulties that obviously are continuing. We also said in this series that it's very easy to begin uh, a season of life with tons of promise and then get stuck in the process. To feel tons of optimism and hope and then to get bogged down along the way. And then last week we, we broke a jar here on stage and we talked about the danger of agendas and the danger of mixing our agendas with flaws. And so today, I think this message at points might be a message that's honestly hard. But I honestly believe this message is incredibly hopeful. And I'm hopeful for my patterns, and I'm hopeful for yours. So if you got a copy of our handout when you walked in, I'd encourage you to pull it out and write down today's big idea. Today's big idea is this, that our patterns didn't start with us, but by God's grace, they can change with us. That's the hope, that your patterns that you're in didn't start with you. Mine didn't start with me. But by God's grace, not by my effort, by God's grace, they can change with us. I've entitled today's message, Breaking Patterns, and that's what I hope we'll experience the beginning of today. So if you have a Bible, open up to Genesis chapter 37. We've been in Genesis the whole month of September, and we'll be in a couple other places in early October from the early part of the Old Testament. But in Genesis 37, we have the beginning of what I feel is the best story in the whole Bible. It's the story of Joseph. And kids, if you got one of the handouts when you walked in, it talks about Joseph and there's some things for you to do. And when this service is over, you can go out to the belong table and see Miss Jen out there. And she's got a prize for you if you finish filling out your your worksheet. But in Genesis 37, we're going to explore the very beginning of Joseph's life, and we're going to talk about four truths about our family patterns. And the first one is this, 
that we often repeat the pattern of our flawed families. We don't want to. We say, I will never, it's never going to happen to me. I'm not going to be like them. But we often end up repeating the pattern of our flawed families. And we see this in Joseph's family. And so I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, to to stand up with me. And if you don't have it, you can follow along. But we're going to stand to honor God's word this morning and read uh, the biggest chunk of scripture that we're going to tackle this morning. Kelly, if you can just keep them moving, I'm going to read from my Bible. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, this is what it says. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob, his father. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. And he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And so he made Joseph a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw their father loved Joseph more than all his brothers, they hated Joseph and they could not speak peacefully to him. And Joseph had a dream. And he told his brothers they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, they were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but the father kept the saying in mind. If you have your Bible, then jump down to verse 23, I think it is. Yeah, 23. In verse 23, it says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that they wore. They took him and they threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. So if you've ever had a fight with your siblings... It's right here in the Bible. And it gets a little bit worse. When they sat down to eat, they were looking and they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it to kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell our brother to the Ishmaelites and not let our hand be on him for he is our brother, our own flesh. I promise you, I didn't plan this for family Sunday, but it's perfect. Um, And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up. They left him out of the pit and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. God, we pray that you speak to us through your word this morning. And even though many of us have come from families where there have been patterns that have continued for generations, God, we pray that your grace would be greater than our patterns. And by your grace, that new patterns would begin with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Now, I know that's a lot of verses. But I just want to make sure that you follow the story. What we have right here in this story is all of the raw ingredients for an amazing story. The story of Joseph begins in Genesis 36 or 37, and it runs all the way through the end of the book. This is a true story, but when it comes to stories, this has all of the great ingredients. 
It's got conflicts, heroes, and villains. It's got real struggle. Things go down a bad direction, and you're not sure how they're going to turn out. And in this story, everything begins with with Joseph's dad, Jacob, who we looked at last week with his brother, Esau. And Jacob had four wives. Now, I want to be real clear in this because we've got kids in the room. Not everything in the Bible is a model we should repeat. The Bible is relentlessly and ruthlessly honest in describing what happened. But there's a difference between what the Bible describes and what the Bible prescribes. And what we see in this particular story is what happens in a family when there are four different wives and a favorite wife and favorite kids. And Jacob decides because Rachel is his favorite wife and Joseph is her firstborn, that Joseph is his favorite son and he's going to buy him this coat of many colors. This is the most famous part of the whole story of Joseph, this coat. It is the source of that famous musical about the Technicolor Dreamcoat. My kids know the words to that because my wife is into musicals and we're discipling them in all the musicals. Um, And so I'm learning them. And so as I was writing this message, I was singing the songs to myself. But what we see in this story is that this this, this dream coat, this technicolor coat, is the source of all the conflict. Because in the ancient Near East, if you had a coat that had a variety of colors, what that meant is that you were wealthy enough to import all of those colors from different parts of the world. You didn't just go to the store and get all that material. Purple cloth came from one country, and orange cloth came from another country, and green cloth came from another country, and gold came from another country. And so if you had enough money to amalgamate all of those imports together and make a coat, and then give it to only one person, you may have been making that person's life better, but you were making their life worse as well. Because they would stand out like a sore thumb. And in Joseph's family, everyone hated him. Because he was the favorite. And with each passing dream that he shared, he became even more hated. And the problem is, is that Jacob should have known better. If you were here last week, you remember the sermon from last week, that Jacob and Esau were played by their parents who chose them as favorites and pitted them against each other. And Jacob somehow forgot what that was like, and he forgot what that meant for him, and he ended up doing the exact same thing. This is why again and again in the book of Genesis, you feel like, I feel like we're stuck in some sort of time loop repeating the same stories of just different characters. I mean, the same thing happens here. There's treacherous brothers. Last week it was Esau and Jacob. This week it's Joseph and his 11 brothers. And then there's a father who's deceived. Last week, it was Esau and Jacob trying to deceive, manipulate their father. This week, we're going to see that that after they sell their brother, they basically dip his cloak in blood and take it back to their father and say, Dad, we're so sorry. Joseph died. We don't know what happened. They deceived their father. Then there's 20 years of separation. Jacob and Esau were separated for 20 years before they had a reunion. And in the story of Joseph... He's 20 years in Egypt before he is reunited with his brothers. And then eventually in the end, 
there's a reunion. But it's the exact same story. It's the exact same pattern. Jacob does the exact same thing that his father Isaac did. And we go, these families, how could you be so dumb? So many times in our own lives, we end up repeating the patterns of those who got before us. And often what happens is we're not even aware of it. Like me, when I was in burnout, I wasn't aware that I was struggling with some of the same weaknesses, the same temptations, the same struggles that my father and my grandfather did. So that's number one. Number two is, is that when we're unaware of our patterns, we're a danger to ourselves and others. When you're unaware of the pattern that you're in, you're a danger to yourself, sure, because you're, you're making destructive choices, but you're also a danger to other people because you could be continuing and passing on that pattern in ways you don't even realize. At the end of the passage in, in Genesis 37, it says after the second dream that his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. The, the word in your Bible may be the word pondered. It's this idea that, that Jacob was kind of just, you know, I'm sure he had a beard, you know, because back then you had to have a beard, you know. So I, I found this picture. You know, he's just, kind of, he's just kind of chewing on it. He's thinking about it. A more modern day would be this. This is more Scott. And this is, this, is, this is more Jacob. But he's just pondering it. He's thinking about it. And that's great that he's pondering what God is saying because Jacob is well aware that God speaks through dreams. God spoke to Jacob in a dream. And that's why many of you don't know him as Jacob. You know him as Israel because it was in a dream that God renamed him. So, so maybe Jacob is just pondering, hey, I wonder if God's speaking to my son through a dream the way he spoke to me through a dream. But I think what he should have been pondering is, oh my gosh, 11 of my sons want to kill my other son. Maybe I should do something about that. And I want to remind you of something. That what you don't know can hurt you. What you don't know that's happening in your family right now, it can hurt you. What you don't know that's happening through your actions, it can hurt you. There's a, a, a cliche that says that ignorance is bliss. Sometimes. Sometimes ignorance is dangerous. And Jacob and Joseph are unaware of this pattern that they're in, and it's continuing to destroy their families. We saw this in the, in the life of all the way back to Jacob's grandfather, Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. In Genesis 12, the beginning of the series, we talked about how Abraham went and he said, hey, this isn't my wife, Sarah. She's my sister. Well, if you read Genesis 26, what you see is that Isaac, his son, does the exact same thing. He says, he's in a town, he's scared. He goes, this is Rebecca. She isn't my wife, she's my sister. And then in Genesis 27, we see Jacob and Esau, they trick their father. And then we see in Genesis 37 that Joseph's sons trick him and tell him their son is dead when he was just sold. We see the same thing with favoritism in the Jacob and Esau story and then in the Jacob and Joseph story. And this pattern just continues again and again and again. And when they are unaware of it, when we are unaware of it, it runs the risk of damaging us and others. Self-awareness is incredibly important and incredibly uncommon. And we don't often think about self-awareness being part of our relationship with God. 
But over 500 years ago, John Calvin said, without knowledge of self, there can be no knowledge of God. And without knowledge of God, there can be no knowledge of self. They're connected. The more and more you get to know God, the more and more God shows you about yourself. And the more and more you get to know about yourself, the more and more you become aware of your need for God and how different you are than God. And it is so incredibly important that we get to know where we are unaware and begin to cut down and minimize those places. Self-awareness is a, a buzzword in our culture today. It's been cited as the number one reason why leaders are successful or unsuccessful. There's a ton of writing on it. But the importance of it, the value of it, is rooted in the scriptures. In Mark 12, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he said, the most important commandment is to hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength with all of these things. And the second one is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. See, we're not just called to love God with our minds. God is not merely interested in downloading spiritual information into your head. He's looking to transform your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And he's calling you to love your neighbor as yourself. This is why... When I was in that season of burnout, part of what made it hard is that I was dealing with cynicism. Because in the church, I had heard people, man, that person is so spiritually mature. Man, they know their Bible so well. Yeah, but I see the look on their wife and their daughter's faces, and they don't want to have that guy as a husband. They don't want to have that guy as a father. They have all the information. But they don't have any love. They're spiritually mature, but they're emotionally and relationally immature. And they don't even see it. I mean, I see it on the look on their faces. Everybody around them knows it. But they're the one who doesn't have a clue. And it's, it's like when you're driving. My very first accident, I'd had my license for one month. One month. I only made it one month. And I remember calling my dad, and he came and picked me up, and there had been a Dodge Ram 2500 with 47-inch tires. I mean, it was like a skyscraper. Um, and I was trying to, to, make a, to get out of my lane, another lane, and I checked my blind spot. And then between checking my blind spot, turning back and turning, he was there. And I didn't even scratch his rim. Like, there was no damage on his vehicle at all, and blew out a fender, and a tire, and electrical systems. I mean, it was just, I felt so bad. But every time I see one of those giant trucks, and every time I change lanes, I check my blind spot. Why? Because I know that what's in my blind spot can hurt me. So I wonder about you. What's in your blind spot? What are you unaware of? Maybe it's a pattern in your family in the past. Maybe it's a, a way that you come across to people. Maybe it's something that's happening around you that everybody else is aware of and they're waiting for you to get the clue so you can join the party and you can be part of the solution. We all check our blind spots when we drive. I was in a rental car this week and there's a little thing on my review mirror on the rental car that tells me there's a car in my blind spot now. 
I don't trust it totally. Um, I still check. But what's in your life blind spot not only can hurt you, but it can hurt others. Number three, there are no generational curses today, but there are generational consequences. And talking about this subject, I needed to cover this really important topic because there are certain people that believe in generational curses today. And the Bible is really clear about this if you go to the book of Ezekiel chapter 18. In Ezekiel 18, the prophet speaking the words of God, says, what do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The, father have, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So basically, it's this idea that the father makes the sinful decision and the, and the children are punished for it. And, and it's, the Lord says, as, as I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. He's like, done, we're done with this. He goes on to say, Behold, all souls are mine, and the soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. So there's not a curse like where you're going to die because of somebody else's decisions. But if you go on to Ezekiel 18, he says, The soul who sins shall die. The Son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the Father, nor the Father suffer for the iniquity of the Son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. He's saying, hey, if you're the one who makes the destructive decision, you are the one who pays the price. You are the one who inherits that curse. And yet, there's a difference between a curse and a consequence. And you may say, I came out of a family that wrestled with alcoholism, that wrestled with anger, that, that wrestled with greed, Maybe there's somebody in your family that was known in the town you grow up in for a really not great thing. And so whenever your name is mentioned back there, that's the thing everybody thinks of. And you say, I'm under that curse. No, you're not under that curse. You may experience some of those consequences. Some of the decisions they make may impact you. But God is not cursing you for their decision. I love what Sarah Grove says in one of her songs. She says, remind me of this, Lord, with every decision, generations will reap what I sow. And so for me, I had a conversation with my dad this week. And I just talked about the fact that it was from my perspective hard because I didn't see the boundary work that my dad began doing after I graduated. I protect Saturday really hard. So if you try to reach me between dinner on Friday and dinner on Saturday, you're going to have a really hard time. I'll be there on for, for Prescott weeks because those are two Sundays, two Saturdays a year, and I'm not going to call you something I won't do. But I protect that time really hard. Well, I guess my dad does the same thing with Fridays. He's very hard to reach. You call his office, they won't give you his number. You call his house, he's going to ignore it. Well, I didn't see that. What I saw was, was my dad trying to meet the needs of people and at times working into his margins and always being engaged. I remember the time that he, he ditched out on a meeting to come to a baseball game and canceled the appointment, you know. He stood him up because he realized there was a conflict. He chose to disappoint them and not me. And I'll always remember that. But I'll always remember being in Houston on a vacation and my dad leaving to fly home to do somebody's funeral. I remember both. And with you, there is someone who will come after you. Maybe it's not your biological child. 
Maybe it's someone you mentor. Maybe it's a friend. But with every decision you make, someone else is going to reap something from what you sow. And then number four, we can start a new pattern because of our new family. We can start a new pattern because of our new family. Many of you were born into a family that, well, all of us, none of us chose our families. That's why we often call other people our chosen family. I didn't choose them. I am choosing them, you know. Um, But we are all invited through Jesus to be part of a new family, a spiritual family. And in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So you may have come out of a family where you inherited a bunch of patterns that you've spent your whole life saying, I will never. But if you are a follower of Jesus, that isn't the only family you're a part of. And in your new family, you are a child of God. And because you are a child of God, his spirit lives in you. And his spirit gives you the ability to begin a new pattern. For you to break the pattern of before. Now, I think there are some struggles that that are just going to be part of our lives as long as we're alive. It's always going to be a temptation for me to overwork. It's always going to be a temptation for me to to not disconnect and not have good boundaries. But me at 27 and me at 35 are living very different patterns. And my dad is living a very different pattern than his dad. Because I don't think my dad's going to work until he was 91, like my grandpa did. And my dad has taken a vacation every year in recent memory. Whereas my grandpa only took two or three. We're breaking patterns. Not because we are good, but because by the grace of God, he's leading us to change. So on the back of your handout, I want to talk to you about how you break your patterns really practically. And I want to give you some context for this from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. What we are about to do falls clearly under the banner of spiritual warfare. Because the patterns of the families that you're in, for some of you, they go back one, two, and three generations. And they've been in your life for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven decades. And for you to break these patterns, it's not going to be the power of positive thinking. It's going to be you claiming the spiritual authority you have as a child of God and destroying those strongholds through him. So on your list, number one, celebrate the good that's been passed down. You go, huh? Yeah. There is always something to celebrate. And many times if we've been in a family pattern that's been unhealthy or unhelpful, we kind of just throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's why for me, I celebrate that my grandpa and my dad, even in the seasons when they work too much, they pass down values like loyalty, faithfulness, integrity, and a hard work ethic. And I hope when my kids talk about me, they use the same words. 
And I hope they inherit the same things. You celebrate the good. Number two, you acknowledge the sinful patterns of your family. Say, man, this is not just a me thing. This is an us thing. This is the pattern that we have been walking in, and it doesn't honor God, and it's sinful. Acknowledge that pattern. Name it. Or just write it down. You probably need to tell somebody about it and acknowledge it out loud. Number three, increase your awareness of your own tendencies. None of us are perfectly self-aware. All of us have blind spots. And so here's, if you go, man, there's probably some places in my life where I don't fully understand. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to identify somebody that you trust that has really good perspective on you. I want you to sit them down and say, I'm going to ask you to do something in a second. And I know you're not going to want to because you don't want to hurt me. And your tendency is going to be to lie to me because you don't want to hurt me and you don't want to feel uncomfortable. But I need you to tell me the truth and I need you to be willing to hurt me with the truth so I can see what I don't see. And then you say, here's what I want you to answer. What's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be married to me? What's it like to have me as a mom or a dad? What's it like to be my mom or dad? What's it like to work for me? Or, or what's it like to have me as someone who works for you? What's it like to be my friend? What's it like to be my neighbor? You go, Scott, that is a terrifying question. Why on earth would I ever want to ask that question? Because you care more about other people than you do your own comfort. And you care more about being free than you do staying ignorant. And you want to know so that you can break the pattern. Number four, refuse the temptation to blame your family for your actions. You acknowledge their sinful patterns and that those played an influence but you still made the choice. Ezekiel 18, you made the choice. Jacob may have been raised by dysfunctional parents, but guess what? He chose to play favorites. He chose to make the coat. He chose to go that direction. Number five, repent of your sins. Not, not their sins. You're not repenting for their sins. Those are their sins to repent for. You repent for your sins. And I want to remind you what repentance is. Repentance is a big word we use in the church, and often in the church we use words and we assume everybody knows what they mean. Repentance is three parts. It's one, acknowledging that you've gone in the wrong direction. Two, turning around. And three, going in a new and better direction. Repentance isn't full until you go in a new direction. Repentance is not, oh man, I feel so sorry about that. Because guess what? You can go to the same thing right again. That's regret. It's not repentance. Repentance isn't finished until you're going in a new direction. And then number six, receive and walk in God's grace. Receive and walk in God's grace. Many of us like to think that we needed grace when we came in at Jesus for the first time, but then our goal is to do as much as we can in our own power. To receive God's grace for the past, but walk in ourself for the present and the future. 
And here's what you need to know. You need more grace today than any other day you've been alive. And you will need more grace tomorrow than you needed today. Because hopefully you're growing in your awareness. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. By the grace of God, you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and all of you, by the grace of God, you are who you are. And his grace towards you was not in vain. It wasn't wasted. And you may be doing your dead level best to break the patterns of before. But if those patterns are broken, it will not because because of your work. It will be because the grace of God that is with you. We will not break the patterns of our families in our own power and strength. If those patterns are broken, they will be because God's grace works through us. Our patterns didn't start with us, but by God's grace, they can change with us. And I don't know about you, but that's some really good news. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.